Well, hello, everybody. This is the session after you eat lunch and you try not to fall asleep. I'm a loud black man. I'm going to keep you alive. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. Um, now, if you didn't notice or not, but I have to now run my own presentation. My wife says I'm not a multitasker, so I'm going to figure this out. Amen. I mean, glad to be here. Learning a lot, yeah? So listen, I want to start by just giving you a little bit of who I am. And uh, as he said, I've been married for 31 years uh, to that woman right there. That is my wife, Coco. She is, I called her, a.k.a. hot chocolate, a.k.a. brown sugar. Come on. You can't call her that. I call her that. But uh, she is the mother of all of our children, uh, three of them. Uh, there they are. That is Keith Jr. He's 30. Keisha, she is 28 and has, I'll show you my granddaughter in a second. And that is my youngest daughter, Jocelyn. She's 27. I know exactly what you're thinking right now. He looks too young to have those children. Black don't crack. Hello. <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about, then you know. Now, Keisha is my middle child. I love her to death. Those of you that have children, you will find that there are some children you love. You love all of your children, yes. There are some you don't like from time to time. Her and I are just alike. She is my twin. We get down together, and when, we, when it's good, it's really good. And through the years when it hasn't been good, it hasn't been good. But she has produced, ha, my grandbaby. Lala, and she is a miracle, literally. Keisha has a disease called lupus, and um, she has been suffering for lupus since she was a high school senior. And so they said that she would never be able to have a baby. How I many you know you got to be careful with what they said and submit that always to what did God say? And so we have our grandbaby, Lala, who is, her name literally means giver of joy. And I promise you, she is her pop-pop's joy. My, one of my hosts, Tony, in the background, just in the back of the room, just saw her. She gave him joy as well. Amen? And so let me just say for a few minutes, I've served at the local church. I was a Marine for 10 years and um, got called. Thank you. Thank you so much. Got called into ministry as a Marine. How many know that there needs to be a sanctification process before you pastor? After having been a Marine, right? Um, <laughs> So we went through a process, and God got me straight somewhat. I'm still twisted. Come on. All of you are, too. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. You want to plant a church, you definitely twisted um, in the right way. But, but so we went on a journey, and the Lord, over all of those years we've been together, for the most part, we've been in ministry at one level or another. When I first got out of the Marine Corps, for the, who's got a small child, like a, like a diaper type, little age child? When I first got out of the Marine Corps, I was the nursery coordinator, and so, how I many know you would not want to give your baby to me? But one thing you could count on is that the room was clean and it was inspected well. Amen? But my pastor only let me do that for a week. I got it organized and we passed it on to someone else. I didn't realize that that would be the gift that God put in my life, is to build structure and then pass it on to someone else. That has been what we've done in ministry our entire time. And so, served at every level, planted churches, killed churches, um, and so now we're at a season in life where um, an apostolic calling is on our life. We pastor a, a resource church, what in my denomination, Foursquare, we pastor a church in the Portland area, and AKA Keep Portland Weird, it is, but, but that's all right, it's our place, we love it. Um, and so we're able to now begin to speak into other regions, other countries, and I'm in a season in my life where I've become a father in the faith. And so what I want to do today is I don't want to necessarily give you any one thing. I want to give you the five gems that all of our plans, I've talked to all of the ones that I coach, love, father, speak to. And I said, hey, I'm going to the ark. I've got an hour with them. They said, well, if you got an hour, you got to tell them this. And you got to tell them that. And I was like, I got an hour. And so what I found is that in my survey with them, that there was about five things that kept popping up on the radar of things that they were struggling with, things that now I've got planners that are at sustainability. I've got some that have gone on and they've got great churches, some that are just now starting, some that are struggling. And one, in real time, I'll show you um, where he is just in real time. Names blacked out, but I'll show you what he's wrestling with right now and why it's so important, this principle that I teach you. But here's what I'll say to you. Collect everything. 
Like you're at the Ark and it feels like, like you're at the conference. It's got to feel like you're drinking from a fire hose, right? Everything is good. You've got to find a way along the way to collect all of the gems. You won't use them all in the same season. Hear me. Some things you look at, I don't need that. No, you do. You just don't need it today. You'll need to unpack it six months from now, five months from now. You'll need to go back to your notes. You need a way to capture all of the nuggets. So whatever you're doing, however you're doing it, whatever the notes, whether it's digital, whatever it is, you will not remember what you don't write down, what you don't figure out a way to capture so that you can recall it. And so what I'm going to give you is just, they're not all of the gems. They're not all of the exhaustive things that you would need to know. They may not even be for you today. At some point, it may be, and you will want to call it back up. Does that make sense? So what I've called this is the five essentials every, every planner and his team or her team should know. And so they're just five gems, and that's the way I'll put it. I've collected. I am a collector as it is. I love truth. I listen to it. I listen to people far and wide, all types of communicators, male, female, Asian, black. I want to know what the church is doing, not just in my city, but the church. Does that make sense? And so because I get to travel and I get to see the church in this different context, one of the things that you find out is we're more alike than we are different, especially as human beings. That some of the things that ail uh, UK planters, ail, you know, Asian planters. Well, there's a, path, a pathology that we all seem to follow. First thing I want to say this morning, this afternoon, is this. The Sabbath was a command, not a suggestion. I know, I know, you know that already. I got a friend of mine, he says it this way. We work from rest, not for rest. We work from a position of rest, not for rest. Not going to get into a long theological uh, debate about the Sabbath, where you should take it, when you should. How I many know you need to rest? And if you don't rest, then that means you're smarter than God because he rested. Hello? Now, when I say that we rest, that we work from rest, not for rest, it means that there should be something about your soul. Now, I'm going to, listen, I'm going to take for granted that you know that you need to rest at least one day of the week. Ah, Jesus. Come on, bow your heads right now. Let's repent. This becomes a real challenge because here's what I know about Jesus. He didn't get to finish, so you won't get to finish. You're like, what do you mean? He said he finished on the cross. Look at the book of Acts. When the book of Acts opens up, the Bible begins to say, Oh, Theophilus, here and he begins to write, Luke begins to write, and he says about Jesus that these are the things that he began to do, that it kept going beyond him, that there's something about this work, I don't know if you realize it or not, that's eternal, and you and I are finite beings. Not infinite. You don't have an infinite amount of energy. You don't have an infinite amount of, of, of passion and time and effort. You've got to manage yourself really well. Does that make sense? This is important for you A-type personalities. Lift your hands. Where are you? Yeah, because these are the people that do the things that we do. There's an entrepreneurial spirit. There's a drive in you to get stuff done. And that's why things get built and established. And that's why often other things don't get built. And after a while, your soul starts leaking, and maybe the family didn't get built, but the church did. We saw Jimmy really lay a soul on the line for us. Yeah. Successful, blessed, church prospering, life falling apart. Now, now, there's something about Sabbath rest that allows you and I to take stock and reevaluate. We get to pull back. We get to listen to the voice of the Lord. Does that make sense? We get to hear his voice in us speaking to us, about us, not the church, not the city. A lot of what we've been talking about is about the city, is about the loss, is about the church and structure and all that. For this moment, the Sabbath rest and command is about you and I and God. It's about us being versus doing. Oh, y'all not talking to me. It's about being with God, not doing something for him. Isn't it amazing that you can... You could be working for God and not know God. You could be talking about transformation and not be transformed. You could be talking about people getting healed and not be healed. I'm not going to beat that horse. You understand what I'm saying, yes? So then Jesus says these words in Matthew 16, in verse 13, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, remember this, 
Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They reply, some say, some say, some say. And then he says in verse 15, who do you say that I am? Who you says, who you say that Jesus is determines how you work and how you rest. If he is the Savior, and if he is people's Savior, more importantly, it will allow you to go to sleep. It will allow you to rest. It will allow you to turn your phone off and miss some calls. Oh, let me find something. Let me get my chair here. Because I can see y'all going to be a tough crowd. Come on. How many hear what I'm saying? I didn't realize that I was gaining too much significance by what I was doing and answering everybody's call and being everybody's pastor until I ran into a 67-year-old pastor that had been in pastoral ministry and retired. And he said to me, I turn my phone off every evening at 5 o'clock. I was like, I hadn't even seen the off button. Come on, somebody. And he said to me, he said, in all of the years that I was in ministry, I only missed one real emergency, real, notice what I said, real emergency in all of that time. Everything else could have passed. He said, I ate dinner, and I helped with homework and baths in the evening. And I wasn't on my phone texting and talking to people. I was like, good Lord. It wasn't but one emergency, and he said even in that night, he couldn't have done anything about it. Who do I say that Jesus is? Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, the Messiah, the anointed one. He's the anointed one, not me. I am anointed, but I'm not the anointed one. I'm not the Christ. So there's something about you not answering people sometime that forces them to go to the Christ. So there's something about you and I that if we're doing this right, we're teaching them not how to drink our living water, but how to draw some from the wells of salvation, their selves, for themselves. Because you're not always going to be available. Hello. My wife likes to go on vacation, ladies. Hello. My wife likes me to spend time with her uninterrupted and being present in the room with her. Oh, y'all like five of y'all? Y'all ladies not here? Ladies, that was a really good place to say, man. Only, there she goes. There she is. So then it brings up, that question, who's really building the church? Am I building it or is Jesus building it? Because he says something about him building the church and the gates of hell not being able to prevail against it. Now, I realize I'm, here, I'm a resource. I've been sent to that city. But I better also recognize that this is a spiritual enterprise that the spirit is doing that work that I can't do which when I recognize what my role is and I recognize who he is, it allows me to settle down. It allows me to rest. Is that all right? Now, this is the question that took me a while to answer because the real truth of the matter, it wasn't souls driving me to build a church. It wasn't wanting to see the city transform. That was part of it. And let's just be honest with ourselves while we're here. The only person that had 100% pure motives for what they were doing was Jesus. The rest of us are doing it with tainted motives. Of course we want people to be blessed. Of course we want people to get saved. Of course we want all of them to be restored. Of course we want to see the city set right and racial injustices and all of that stuff. And at the same time, there's something about it that I want. I want to be thought well of. I'm a little insecure, so I need the affirmation of the people, right? Amen, right? I got all kinds of issues that I'm being healed while they're being healed. Oh, y'all not talking to me? Like, like, while they're coming out, I'm still coming out. I'm still being worked on and worked in and worked through. God's still dealing with me as, and the truth of the matter is, something was driving me that may not be driving you, just maybe, my father was a two-tour Vietnam veteran. My mom was born, I was born in 1966 to a 16-year-old girl who had sex one time with her high school sweetheart. He did the right thing, married her, went off the war to take care of a two-tours decorated veteran, came home with PTSD. We did not know that that's what it was. I just knew that I couldn't play in the house or make sudden noises because it would disrupt him. And I could only be with him if he had been drinking or high because that, that meant he was stable. Does that make sense? He was physically violent to my mom and physically violent to me, and ultimately, we left him, rightfully so, amen? 
They didn't get back together. He lived 30 minutes from me. I never really seen him much. He didn't come to my games, although I kept looking in the stands for him at every game. He never came. In fact, when I joined the Marine Corps, part of it was that I wanted to live and die for a great cause. The other side of it was that I was a Marine. Somebody told me that they were the best, the few, the proud, the Marines, that whole thing. I bought that hook, line, and sinker, thinking that it would get his attention. I didn't know that till years later. It didn't. It didn't. <laughs> I did really well as a Marine. It never got him to say, I'm super proud of you. We never had the moment. He went on and he went on and I believe gave his life to the Lord at the end of his life. But we never had the moment. But he was driving me all the time, all, the, all of my life, trying to get his affirmation, trying to get his approval. And I became a pastor. And all of a sudden, I didn't know the drive for success wasn't so that I would hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It wasn't all about Jesus. Now, it's awful quiet. You could either say amen or oh me right now. Because there's all types of reasons why we can't rest, why we're so driven. And some of them have nothing to do with people, souls, the kingdom, or the city. And I'm saying that to you because I didn't find that out. I had practiced leadership on people yeah. in brokenness. Right. Rejection, abandonment was driving me. The need to be loved by them was driving me. I needed them, in fact, more than they needed me. I needed them to keep coming. They were doing something. Their applause was the applause I never got. Are you hearing me? And so now I got the applause. But not only that, I got a stage. It gets worse because the more success you have, the more applause you have. It just becomes a noose. And I had to do some introspection. The success of ministry, I was charismatic. I was young and people wanted me and here I go. And it can hurt. You can hurt people because you hurt. You've heard that before. Come on. Here's when you know, or well, marital alignment, I want to get to it in a second. But can I, just, can I just lay this out? This is just for free. That whole, how many heard about momentum and how important it is? You know what happens with momentum after a while? It becomes your worst enemy because you think you got to keep it going. Momentum, we got to keep going. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Ladies, are you in here saying, man? My wife changed my life when she told me I could not bring the church or my laptop into our bedroom. She said, brother, you need to do some other kind of work when you come in here. <laughs> Y'all are married. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. The stork did not bring you here. But what she was saying is, is you need to be able to put this thing down. You need to be able to put it down, put it to rest, put it aside, and rest. Rest with me. Rest with the children. Rest with Jesus. And trust that he'll build it. Because ultimately what it was is I didn't believe that Jesus would stay and do it because nobody had in my life stayed. And I superimposed those experiences and wounds on my relationship with the Lord. And I acted as if it all depended on me. Are you with me? Okay, so the next thing I want to say is marital alignment, commitment versus compliance. Now, there's a difference between commitment and compliance. If you're a church planner, if you're a leader, then the accompanying gift, the composite of the gift is you're charismatic, you're winsome, you're charming, you can talk people into things. That's part of your gift set. That's part of how you preach the gospel. Does that make sense? So there's a personality profile that goes with that. Now, what I didn't realize early on is that you can get people, as, as, as a charismatic leader, you can get people to comply and do things that they aren't committed to do. Compliance. I'll do it because, you know, you, you argue me so much. You, your, your argument is so irrefutable, the way that you make it. I'm not committed. I didn't get to process it. I didn't get to pray. But, but you're asking for commitment right now. And if you're really with the vision, you'll do it now. And you have to be careful that you're not coercing people. My wife is somebody. How many, how many of you are, are processing people that you got to have a minute to process? That's my wife. And I realized that years on end that, that I had a personality that could wear on her to the point where she would say this, ladies, watch this. She would say, okay, if that's what you want to do, let's do it. How many of you know that if you're going to plant a church, if you're going to take the bloodstained banner of Jesus and drop it into a community, into a city, 
You better hope your wife heard and your husband heard a prophetic word of the Lord and you are both committed to it because I promise you, you will get a gut shot at some point to make you question whether you should even be in the city. And you don't want your wife turning to you or your husband saying, well, it was you, you wanted to go. I didn't really want to even go. Nobody on your team should have just heard a word from you. Everybody ought to be committed but to a prophetic word. Everybody ought to got confirmation or else it's just tacos at night. Hello. Everybody ought to get a prophetic word of the Lord. There's got to be, say, agreement. Remember this scripture in Matthew 18? Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask, what? It will be done for them. That word agree is a compound word in the Greek. It's two words. It's sumphophonio. It means to make one sound. What it's saying basically is if any two of you on earth shall make one sound together about a thing, you will get that thing. I need my wife and I, I need the team, all of us, to not just be mimicking what I said out of compliance, out of friendship, out of I want to do a cool thing. Y'all not talking to me? I need us to make one sound on the earth together in agreement. Jesus promises to do that thing and to be in the middle of those people. There's things that we did that we weren't in agreement with. We had compliance, but we didn't have commitment. And when you don't have commitment, I want you to see this because this is important to us because there's sort of a progression that you can go to to get commitment. And you can get this online. Just Google Jim Laura. You can get it, or I can send you. You can email me at the end, and I'll send you my PowerPoint. So if you're trying to get notes and you want the nuggets, I'll give them all to you. All right? So you can stay present in the moment with me. I can give you all of the stuff. No problem. Make sense? Okay. So then the idea would be noncommittal. We know those people, noncommittal. They condemn, condemn everything. I won't do it. I won't influence others to do it. We already know. You go up a level. People that complain. And by the way, all of these people are going to be in your church. Welcome to your world. You asked for it. Amen? Why should I do it? If nobody says so, so they complain, they murmur. Then there's compliance. I have to do it. I can do it when I'm told to do it. But I can't have that on my launch team. Come on. I, I got to have people. I, my, my wife can't just want to do it when I'm saying that we're doing it. It's got to be in her heart and soul. It's got to be on my team's soul. It's got to be in us to the core. So then we're wanting people to have commitment. Because when they have commitment, this means the Lord spoke it to them and not you. That means they're saying more things like the Lord is asking us to do this. The Lord is asking us to sell our house and to move with you. How many of you know that better be a word of the Lord and not compliance? If I sell my house, the devil is a liar. I will lead others to do it. That's why you want committed people. If all you have is compliant people, you got to constantly crank that thing and keep it going. But when you have committed people, you've multiplied yourself. So they're committed to it. And this, let me say something to you, young leader, somewhere in here. And young doesn't mean old or young. It just means young leader. Let me say something to you. You have to respect people's processes. Most of the time, you're going to make a decision as a leader that you've been thinking about for six months. And you expect people to make the decision in six minutes that you've been processing for six months. And then you get upset with them because they're not, they're not with it and they're not with our program. And we've got to maximize because momentum is driving us and not Jesus. Wow. Slow down. I know momentum. We got to get momentum. I just left the momentum workshop. I got you. You serve the God of momentum. He can create another way for you. Relax. Touch your neighbor. Say, relax. Relax. We want commitment to go up, yes? Okay. This is a question I want to ask all of you. Who is your pastor? Don't raise your hands rhetorical. Of all of my guys, some call me PK, some call me Pop, some call me Bishop. Black Church of God and Christ brothers call me Bishop. 
I got all kinds of names. Whatever you call it, it's a spiritual father. It's a mother, somebody to look after you. I was a, a young pastor, and I remember Bishop Jakes preaching a message called When Shepherds Bleed. And he asked the question, where do shepherds go to bleed? Hopefully you have somebody that loves you more than they love what you do. I called my father and the Lord the first time we broke a 1,000 in Eugene, Oregon. We broke a 1,000. How I many know you're trying to break 100, 200, 1,000? It doesn't matter. It's the same euphoric feeling, yes? Well, I've set up chairs. Listen, I've had a church that was the size of this room, and it wasn't full. That ain't encouraging on a Sunday morning, just so you know. But when you fill up the last 10 chairs or you had to put out 50 chairs, whatever it is, that moment, right? I called my father and the Lord. And I said to him, I said, he said to me, how you doing, son? I said, oh, my God, it's so good. He's like, what's going on? I said, the church, we just hit a 1,000. And I started going off, and he got quiet. You could hear crickets on the other end. And he says, son, and, and he cursed at me. I'm going to tell you what he said. He said, I don't give up about that church. I asked you how you're doing. Tell me how Coco's doing. Tell me how Jocelyn and Keisha and you prayed over them before they went to bed. Tell me about your last date with your wife. Tell me that you are not identifying yourself and, 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 and literally equating success with how this church is doing, with how your life and family is doing. Tell me you haven't blurred those lines. I'm like, well, we just got a thousand. <laughs> That's a big deal. <laughs> that was hard to do. He wasn't impressed. He was not impressed. Taught me a very valuable lesson that day. And he cussed at me. He had never done that before. <laughs> I said, you're a man of God. What's wrong with you? He got my attention. And we started trying to design a different scoreboard. Does that make sense? You're going to need somebody to look after your soul. You're going to need somebody to care about you more than they care about what you produce. Because there are going to be seasons where you don't produce. Did you believe that Joel Osteen's dad was preaching all over the world and only had 200 people <laughs> for 13 years? How, how that if I told you right now that you could have 200 people on your launch, you'd be happy. But if I told you you'd have those same 200 people for a decade, nobody, and, and here's the worst part about that. People would look at you like you weren't successful. Here's what you better get a new definition of success, and it, it would be this. Success is obedience to the call. Whether I get 500, 5,000, I've pastored churches of 70. I've pastored churches that grew from 30 to 17. That's the ministry of subtraction, not multiplication. That same church died and came back and was 1,500. I'm now co-pastoring a church of almost 5,000. 4,500 is what it is doesn't matter. You know what's funny about that? That doesn't. My friend in the back of the room, Jesse Lowry, he can tell you, I don't identify myself by that. The only reason I told you that is so that you can see the scale of things and, and the journey of my life. Not so you can say, oh, my God, he's got. No, that doesn't matter. And it won't, it won't matter to Jesus when I get to heaven. He's going to start asking me about brown sugar. He's going to start asking me about them kids. That's what he's going to ask me about. Not whether I have 1,500, what's on my launch day. He's not going to ask me that stuff. And I'm not telling you that that stuff is not important. Don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm saying is, is you can't be synonymous with it, and you better have some people that love you. Remember Jesus had a bad day just before the cross called the garden. He had a good community around. Here, I'll just read it to you. Matthew 26 and 37 says this. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. Better have some friends that'll watch with you. And then he went to the Father with his pain. You know the rest. Amen? You're going to have some pain. Here's the, here's the real-time message I got yesterday from a church planner. He said, hey, I'm reaching out for prayers. My wife and I are really struggling today. Church finances are in the dump the last four months. We're under 100 people this weekend. 
We've lost so much momentum when I went to the hospital. Had to decrease everybody's pay today. Not sure what to do with all the friends who left our church this last year. I know we have huge blessings, but it feels shitty. Uh, with kids and family today, ready to walk away from the church, but not them. Thanks for praying. Whole launch team has been turned over. They left. People that said that they would stay didn't. Money is down. People are down. And that's real time yesterday. You know what he's got that some people don't? He's got a lifeline called a pastor. He's got a shepherd. He's got somebody. And I said the word in a profane way because I wanted you to hear his passion. I want you to hear his pain. This thing was going well, and now it's gone like that. Has his value changed before the Lord? No. Has the Lord's love changed? No, none of that's changed. But it can mess with you, can it? And you better have somebody that's got their eye on you and not that. Are you hearing me? You're going to need somebody to take care of you. The pathology of the fallen is this. Isolated, no one to turn to, imprisoned by their role or their success or a combination of all of it. Does that make sense? I want to run a little bit. You know this part, people priority, yes? People are not IG pics. People are not stories to be told for you so that you can look good. Jesus loves people. Can we please fall in love with people again? Can we, just, can we just fall in love with them again and not be in a crowd trying to be important? Can we just see people and love them? Amen? That's all I'm going to say about that. Last part I want to get to is this. Strategic agility. The reason I say that is there's a term in literary terms called killing your darlings, which simply means that as a writer, what you do is you write and what you think is the best thing or chapter or precepts or points, you kill them. You get rid of them and start over again. Because what that does for you is it helps you get to the best ideas, the best concepts. Every general on a field, I was a Marine infantry soldier. Every general recognizes he's got to continually contextualize his strategies to face the changing landscape of the battlefield. You may start your church plant thinking that your life groups are going to work a certain way, your connects groups are going to do this. You may think all of your strategies are what they're going to be. But you must be humble enough to contextualize and meet the realities on the ground. God may want to do something that your strategy doesn't meet. I was in Eugene, Oregon, trying to figure out how to pastor this church that, that was 30, that ended up being 17. Let me just say I had a lot of time on my hands. I knew that the University of Oregon would be a key to reaching the city. I couldn't get on the campus, couldn't figure it out. Got one relationship, and it opened up. And all I had was these college kids, these athletes, basketball and football. This was before we had 200 uniforms. Hello, somebody. <laughs> and I was reaching these athletes. One pastor told me, he said to me, he said, hey, um, they're a transient community and they don't have money. He was right. But that was the open door. I kept trying to get families because I kept thinking, we're going to need some solid people around here, especially because I think they would tithe. Hello, somebody. And support us a little bit. We got to eat. But God was giving me the university. I, I had to go. I had to change the strategy. I didn't have an intention on being a college pastor. That wasn't what I was doing. And I really wasn't. I was a pastor to the university campus. Administrators, everybody. You know what's funny about that? 13 years later, who do you think grew up, went to the NBA, went to the NFL, became principals, lawyers, and doctors, and where do you think that they wanted to support our church? We didn't have a need for any money in the next season. But if I wouldn't have contextualized my strategy and killed my darlings, my first ideas, my first concepts, your first idea is not your best one. Newsflash. It's just your first one. That's all it is. And you need to get some other people around you that can maybe kill your darling for you because you may hold on to it too much. And if you don't allow people to kill what you first thought was a good idea and make it better, I learned that as a Marine. 
with men putting their life in my hands. Hey, I think we ought to do this. How I many you know when somebody else's life is in your hands, you let that voice weigh heavily? Well, all of the people that are with you, don't look at them and pat them on the head like they're not smart, like they're beneath you because you're the planter, you're the lead. No, what makes you a leader is that you're wise enough and humble enough to be able to include others. Somebody said to me that one of the things that you will find is that if you remain more curious than you are convinced, you'll remain more curious than you are convinced. God will take you on a nice little journey. Because the last thing I want to say to you is humility precedes learning. You got to be humble before you can learn. And I'll just tell you after 30 years, I didn't come to you today as, a, as an authority. I came to you as a, as a teacher and a pupil. I'm still being instructed. I have some things to teach, but I know that God is still speaking to me. I'm still learning. Amen? Here's my contacts. You can get in touch with me. I will be available to you. I'm not an ARC coach. I'm just a practitioner. And you, if you can pick through my brain and find something that's of use, then so be it. I'll let you have it. Amen? I want to take a few minutes. It's like uh, we're 10 after. We're supposed to be done at 2.30. Just want to take some time for some Q&A. I don't know that I know everything. I know some things. The room is probably wiser than I am. So maybe there's some things that I can't answer that somebody else can. If you got a question, my man in the back will bring the mic to you, and we can take a few minutes. Got anything? Right up front. Tell us your name first. Right back there. You got get that big guy. He might hurt you, man. <laughs> no, <I'm> too <laughs> nice. Uh, hey, uh, my name's Clint, and um, I have a question about you know you talk about Sabbath, and uh, yeah. I think a lot of times it's easy for me to hear that as a person that doesn't have um, a lot of authority, I guess, okay. and have, you know, people above me that might not have the same value of Sabbath that I might have even. Yeah, no doubt. How do you, how do you make that a priority in the midst of that? Yeah. And then when you're a leader one day, uh, and maybe with some more authority, how do you impart that on your team as what, well? What's your name again? Clint. Clint, let me just say this. First of all, you're a leader right now, not one day. You're a leader. So then what, what you are asking really is how do I lead up? Because you can lead your peers and you know how to lead followers. But you're asking how to lead up. That's a conversation. That's a nuanced conversation to say, hey, here's, <laughs> you know, here's something in the Bible that we should probably talk about because we're talking about sustainability. I need to be able to sustain my family and my life. And what's going to really, really either maybe divide the road for you at some point is your values just don't match up. And so that's what's happened to me in my life. There's, there's opportunities that my wife and I walked away from, from significant money and significant influence because the value of our family wasn't adhered to in the strategy and the ethos and the organizational culture that we were a part of. So we had to start making decisions based on what would sustain our family. And that's important. But the conversation would be is how do we rest? How do we as an organization rest? Can you explain to me where Sabbath, you know, where that lies in our culture? And do we value that and have a real conversation? Not an accusing one. Just say, hey, how do we get, how do we get to this? Because I think for us as a culture, we don't know how to do it. And it's more of a journey. And that's why I don't want you to approach it like, we don't Sabbath. I need to take a Sabbath. Rather than, can we figure out, because my wife and I, we want a Sabbath. So I'm just going to let you know, on Friday from 7 to 7 on Saturday, we're not going to answer our phone. We're not going to answer our email. We're going to actually have some sacred time together as a family. And, and however that would begin to roll out, it may be countercultural at first. But just find out with the people that you're with and try to ask some really, it really just heartfelt questions about it. Does that make sense? Okay. Who else? I think they want it recorded. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in maintaining, I'm Jared, by the All way. Right, Jared. Hey. In maintaining strategic agility. Yeah. What are some keys to bringing your team along with you and keeping your team yeah. as agile as you want to be? You yeah. know. One of the things I do with my team is I'm always the last to speak. I, I give my opinion last. I never, I never allow them to hear me give what I think about a thing. For I'll throw it up, and I was like, hey, tell me what you think. And I won't tell them what I think until after. Because the minute that I say what I think, in order for you to share what you think is to assault my opinion. 
So it's always got to be last. And for me, I'm constantly asking them questions. What do we do? Teach me. What are you thinking? Because I know that I'm not the smartest person in the room. I got some really good people around me. So that means that the leaders got to be humble and, and figure out that maybe a person, you got to know your people too, because maybe, what's your name? Maybe Josh in a crowd won't tell me what he thinks in the staff meeting. He won't tell me. So I need to go to coffee with Josh. I got to know my people. So then Josh will tell me. So the other thing is just flexibility, right? Churches sometimes become too rigid. This is what we do. This is how we do it. That's why we still struggle in our 10 years sometimes behind the culture because we don't flex. We don't change. We don't innovate. If you're constantly wanting to have an innovative culture, here's something that you all got to be comfortable with. If you want an innovative culture, you got to be comfortable with failures. I tell, I tell our youth staff a lot, bring me fresh failures. Because that means, but, but, but what I'm saying is, let's do the path out. Let's do the autopsy on that. Because I want you to at least try. And then let's do the autopsy. What didn't work? What did work? What did you learn? Well, we can't do that again. Good. That's the value. Let's take it. You can't have an innovative culture if you can't withstand, you know, I mean, think about it. Some of the stuff we've seen on the stage, you're like, man, that's so good. Sometimes you need an unpolished stage sometimes. The mic not working is a good thing. Don't go kill the sound guy for not doing it, right? That's all good because we can learn. But when it becomes so performance-based, so strict, so rigid, nobody can ever fail, no mistakes are tolerated, you can't learn. That's the biggest thing, okay? What else? Who else had their hand up? Right here? Get that brother. He had his hand up three times now. What's your name, man? Uh, man my name is David. All right, um, David. I had a question about the uh, uh, the agreement part of the okay. marital alignment and the agreement um, getting people to, to, to say that they're committed. What if everybody that you have for your core team, people that you've been doing ministry with, like, Okay, like like in my situation, I have probably five different men that I've been doing ministry with outside, you know, for a couple of years now. Okay. And they're super committed, but their wives just ain't committed. Mm. Not to say they're some of them kind of against the grain about it, but most of them just really don't care. Like okay. they, they, they don't care about being involved. They don't, you know, so Okay. Now they Christians? Yeah, they're Christians. Okay. I'm just yeah. checking. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. your contact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said they don't care. I'm like, they don't care about Jesus or the church plan? <laughs> no, I mean, they they just, they. I guess they don't find a part they can play in it. They don't really right. have a, a heart for it because it's always been, you know, outside ministry, wives okay. are at home, you know. and um, Cultural, okay. Yeah, and so, like, now, you know, okay. like, my wife is super committed, and there's another couple okay. that's super committed. And so, like, I consider us to be the power couples of the push of the, okay. you know, and but the, the other ones, like, the guys are super committed, but the okay. women just ain't. Remember, remember what I showed you, the compliant versus committed pyramid, mm -hmm. which means that you can take people on the journey. Okay. Let, let, me, let, me, let me help you with this. Everybody needs to be committed to the mission, but their participation doesn't all look the same. Okay? I got businessmen in my church that are committed to our church. They can't be at church every Sunday. Yeah. They can't be at men's meetings. Yeah. They can't, they're, they're Nike execs. I've got to meet them at a different place. So, so don't make everybody's commitment have to look the same. Because now you're going to miss some people that are really committed with you, but can't be in your meetings, can't do everything you do, and you're putting them in the wrong category. They're fully committed. They just can't express it the way that everybody else does. The other thing is, is sometimes, especially my wife and I, my wife and I are ministry partners. We do it together. I noticed that people come from different backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds. Sometimes the ladies in our church never saw themselves as leaders. Nobody ever told them that. Mm. Nobody ever called them that, and they pushed against that. And so we had to disciple them, bring them along. If these are your core guys, then you got to help them disciple their wives as well and then take them on a journey rather than, hey, man, you need to go home and figure that out. And some of that you might need to check your guys to see how they're communicating that vision in that house. Sometimes a woman will pull back on a vision that's hurting her family and kids. Yeah. You got to make sure that these guys are real, living, breathing Jesus representatives yeah. in that house rather than saying these women don't want to do it. 
I don't, I've got guys that look real good sitting in front of me at 6 o'clock in the morning when we're doing devotions. Yeah. Right? They're my guys. And I'm like, well, and then I'll get to their wives. I can always tell the leadership of a house because the wife is a mirror that reflects it. Mm. And when she's downcast, when she's not, I'm like, wait a minute, brother. Let me, let me check that real quick. And I can find that he hasn't been caring for her, dating her, loving her, serving her, laying his, her life down for the church. So guess what? No, she don't want to help. Hello, ladies. No, I'm not committed to that. You're not committed to what? And sometimes women get just drug along. Come on, you're just coming. Yeah. No, no, no. I, remember what I said? Respect the process. So maybe go back to square one and just really bring some, some, some dinner parties together. That's exactly what I was thinking. Bring some dinner parties together so that the ladies are not getting secondhand revelation. Yeah. And you better check your dudes to find out how they representing as husbands in that house. Yeah. That's what you really want to find out. Yeah. Because that might be the disconnect. And that's what I'm getting in my heart right now. So that's a good point. Both points. But bring, bring some dinner parties together. Let the ladies feel like they're stakeholders. Yeah. Bring them in. If you want them empowered, you got to empower them. The other thing is if you want women in your church, you got to accommodate that. Because they're first, especially if they have kids, their first heart is I'm not going to that meeting. I'm staying with my kids. Mm. So if you want them to be a part, you got to figure out childcare. Mm. Or else you're going to have 10 years or 12 years where the ladies are just disengaged. Yeah. And they're gone. And we've missed that creativity. We've missed that energy because 50% of our workforce is at home. Yeah. So that's, that's one point. of the things that we've got. We're, we're actively, we've got a lady right now that's saying we've got women in our church that are executives that stepped away so they can have children. We need that energy. And one of the ways we can do that is through daycare at the church so they can come and work for yeah. several hours. Mm. Yeah, okay? that's a good point. My man right here. Does that help? Yeah. Okay. My name is Fitz. And, uh, Fitz, my man. Yeah, what's going on? Hey, look, got a good question. For okay. Two questions, two okay. big questions. Number one, um, the first one is, what would this version of you, if you could speak to the beginning of you, what would be the one thing that you would warn him of? You don't want to hear that. I, I, I most definitely do. If I could look back and tell my 21-year-old self, I can't remember a time I wasn't in church. My grandmother brought me up in church. I couldn't go outside to play until I memorized the scripture. It was cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> so I've been in church a long time. I would say, slow down and walk with Jesus. Wow. That's just what you heard. Enough said. Just what you heard. <laughs> um, okay, and the second thing is this. I hear we're, we're, our story is very similar to okay. yours. Transitioning, uh, grow a church, okay. kill a church. I mean, that, grow a church, give it away. That, yeah. That's our story. We're, we're planning for the third time, uh, okay. fourth time, fourth, awesome. third time. Bless you. One of them. <laughs> I get lost. But anyway, how did you keep your, your children um, focused and on Jesus mm -hmm. and not mangled mm -hmm. through the seasons of transition? We had a church. I mean, our church in Eugene became very um, well-known. It was, I mean, it's a college town. It'd be like in Lubbock or someplace like that. So if you have athletes, you, you're just on the skyline. Um, if you Google my name, you see an article written by the university, written by the, school, the newspaper about our exit, leaving, resigning that church. What I would say to you is that we created boundaries around our children. And they're different. Now, all of you are at different stages and different ages. So you've got to give attention to your family at appropriate stages. My wife's involvement was different at different stages and different ages. And so what we created boundaries around them. I heard people talk about, you know, having, um, you know, people in the house and, and having, um, you know, building the church with people in the house. You got to be careful with who you invite into your space. Because right. the people that you're trying to reach, now, for lack of a better word, a metaphor, remember, they're sick. And they'll bring whatever ails them into your house and around your children. And it'll get on your children, and it won't come off of them easily. And I just told a story to the brother in the back about our kids. We had family with, with our church. We tried to live as church in a family within our church systems. I learned a very hard lesson with a man in our church that, that actually was one of my best friends, somebody that was with us. My kids loved him, called him uncle, and left our church. And I had to answer this question from my 8-year-old child. She says to me, Jocelyn, my youngest child, says, can we go to Uncle John's house? I was like, no, baby. Why not? I want to jump on the trampoline. 
Uncle John doesn't go to the church anymore. And in her eight-year-old mind, she couldn't, she asked me this question and she turned her head sideways. And she said, because he doesn't go to our church anymore, does that mean he can't be our friend? She couldn't, she couldn't understand what had happened. And I realized then that I got to protect them from the church, that we've got to have a separate relationship that is a little insulated and a good boundary to create some health for my kids to grow up because they will grow up hurt and bruised and hating the church if we're not careful about who we allow into our space. And we did allow people in. It just became very more discriminate and fewer people in that environment. Does that? Yes. Different seasons mean that I, I am giving different attention to my children and my family. When they were in middle school and high school, the Lord spoke to me through Andy Stanley and said, cheat the church is what Andy said. And I remember my son was just about to go squirrely, and I realized that the window of my influence to speak directly into his life was closing. I started coming home at 3.30. I started coming home. My wife and I would get them off the bus. I would be there. I would help with things. I would speak to them. And y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm telling you, in those years, the church even grew without me as I cared for my family. My son is my best friend right now. We're like this. My daughters still date me. One of them is married with a husband. I'm like, why do you want to date me? And she's like, because you're my daddy. That's a good testimony. Yeah. Wow. I did it wrong for a while, though. I had to learn it. It hurt. But I learned. Can you speak to that same relationship thing that you talked about earlier? Yes, Tony. Bring somebody in, and then that relationship falls, and they need to step out and start moving. I mean, one of the things that, again, we're, we're bringing broken people in, right? So they're, they've got rejection, abandonment issues. I passed in an urban church for a while who those people had abandonment and brokenness. I brought them into a family environment. That's what the church ultimately becomes, a different family, the household of God, yeah? And so they come in, but, but what happened was is they got fixated on me. Stand up for one minute. Stand up for a minute, brother. So, so, they got, so they, he came to the church first, and he bonded with me. So hold on to my arm with both arms. Like, hold on to me. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to disciple you, and we're going to reach Fitz, right? We're going to reach him, okay? So let me go. Wouldn't let me go. The relationship needed to transition. He wouldn't let me transition, holding on too long, because he was drinking my water. I was thinking I was teaching him to draw from Jesus. He wasn't getting healed. I didn't know. Now, let me go. Easy. <laughs> that brother, man, cut the circulation off. He wasn't growing, but the church was. My relationship to him needed to change. It hurt. And I had to teach him. He didn't learn. But I still had to go keep fishing because this one, Fritz would turn into a disciple maker and start reaching people, and I could go reach others. And so that was a transition there. So people at various stages, let me just say something to you. Sometimes people don't need to have a cup of coffee with you every Tuesday at 9 o'clock. They need to go get counseling. Yeah. That's good. That's good. And, and I will say this after years of it. They get healed a lot faster when they pay for it. And I'm not going to meet you every Tuesday so I can go over my sermon again that you don't apply. Anyway, <laughs> that's for free. Y'all crazy, man. <laughs> that crazy. That's real talk. You'll meet me for Starbucks, drain me, and then get healed in six weeks when you got to pay $100 an hour. But the church is not equipped to meet every need like that. Pastors, you're not equipped to meet all of those needs. You're not equipped to read molestation issues. You can pray, and they need to go and get counseling. You can be a partner with the therapeutic community in your community. My brother. As a young man starting out, how do I find you? Like, because I want, like, I want to call you and you help me, but how do I find my, yeah. my guy who's yeah. going to pour into me, who's going to love me, who's going to... I have a pastor, and I, but he's also busy, and I don't, yeah. I, I don't want to, yeah. you know as we grow and we go separate ways and do yeah. stuff and I plant and he still, I don't want to feel yeah. like I'm taking all assignment, but I do want someone That's good. as a young man to pour into me and to pastor me. And to, so how do I even what's, find What's your name, first Eddie. of all? 
Eddie, let me say this to you. Let, let's do this. I'm going to say this from a senior pastor's perspective. Don't make your pastor have to meet every need for you. All pastors are not the same. They're not all gifted the same. They're not all mentoring, coaching types. Love your pastor for who he or she is and get whatever you can get from them, but you're not limited. God's always given me resources outside my church structure. Apart, I've got mentors even now that are still speaking into my life, people that are strange to me, that are culturally distant from me, like what Jimmy was saying, that, that he's got people in his life that didn't come from her womb but came by his blood. Not from his community, but, by, but from the kingdom of God. So what I would say to you, my friend, is open your heart and ask the Lord very, very honestly. I, mean, I don't know you, right? Lord, is there anything about me, is there anything in my heart of rejection and abandonment? Because what I found with the Lord is he would not send me a resource until he could be my source. And once I said, God, you're my father, I don't, I don't, I'm good. Heal up that. Then he sent me resources of fathers in the Lord, and I didn't suck them dry nor have inordinate expectations of them, right? And so, but I would venture a guess that God in your hearts, all right, right now, your heart is desiring that. That's a good desire. So God, identify the men in my life that should speak into my life and then run after them. Pursue them. I got a guy right now that called me three times, and I let him call me three times. I wanted to see how serious he was before I invested the time. I said, hey, I'll get you. I'm at the art conference. No problem. I'll call you again. And he called me again. I'm like, that's one I want to get after. He's hungry. He's pursuing. He said, I don't have time. I, I know you don't have time, so I'll have my questions. I'll send them ahead of time. He's already valuing me. Before I'm even in relationship, he values it. Don't get in relationship with somebody to father you, equip you, and then you don't respond correctly. You don't remember anything else I say today. Respect or response equals respect. However you respond, it will tell whoever how you respond. You respect them and honor them. If I say I'm reading a book and I'm mentoring you, you should be like, if he's reading it, I'm reading it. If he mentioned it, that's a podcast, I'm on it. Response. When I was a soldier, I said, hey, go back there. Do you think he hesitated? No. Boom, he's gone. The people that I mentor and coach the most that's in my world, they respond. And they anticipate and value my time, which means when I get there, they are already ready to go. Does that make sense? Does that help you? Okay. Oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come up in the first five minutes because I just don't have the time. I mean, I literally, I'm, not, I'm not trying to big time anybody because I, I want to I grab everybody. But I realize I only have a limited amount of time and, and I just can't give everybody my time. Does that make sense? So then that's in the first couple of minutes. I'm like letting you know, I won't be pursuing you. You're going to have to pursue me. Unless the Lord speaks to me, we're going to keep our time and our schedule together. We're going to eat together and do the things we do. But if there's extra stuff, the onus is on you to pursue. Always on you to pursue. And then don't, get it, don't take it personal when somebody can't get you back and text you back in five minutes. If they're busy, that means that they're doing something. I can't get back to you in five minutes, but I do hit you back. Hey, let's get together on Tuesday at 9. I'll give you an hour if you're lucky. Come on. Can I pray for you? Look at me for a minute. Here's my heart for you. I know for a fact that whenever a new church ends up in a new community, it opens up new streams of evangelism. You're the best. What you endeavor to do, look at me. You will be fought. You will get hit. It's part of it. It's a war. People are going to desert you, leave you. That's why you better not start without a prophetic word from the Lord that solidifies you in what God called you to do so that you could, like Timothy, endure hardship like a good soldier. Come on, good soldiers. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, Thank you that you saved us. Thank you that you brought us out. Thank you that you called us sons and daughters. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your restoration. Thank you for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives. Thank you that you never start anything that you don't intend to finish. Thank you that you're the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you that you are our Father. Now, Lord, when we go into these cities and when you called us to do these works, God, you call and equip us. God, we're just available. 
But we recognize that it doesn't all rest on us. Jesus is indeed building his church and the gates of hell, the strategies of hell, the leadership of hell will not prevail against us. Now, Lord, solidify our families, protect our children, protect our marriages, and Lord, cause your hand to be on us. We recognize that some plant, some water, but you give the increase. So Lord, give appropriate increase more than anything else while we're at this. Help us to give attention to our souls, our own lives, our own hearts, our own walks with you. Lord, we want to be with you more than we want to work for you. Help us to enjoy your presence again. Not just at conferences, but like Adam did in the cool of the day, just walking with you, just being with you, just enjoying you, not petitioning you, just being. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Thank you. You guys have been awesome. Amen. Appreciate you. Come on, give him another big hand, Pastor Keith. Thank you so much. Uh, some of our ARC lead teams here, if you have any questions about planning the church, they're back there. Answer all your questions. Go see Josh and Mark. Also, if you want to know how to raise funds for your church, that's happening in here. If you're starting a church, it might be a good place to be. Thank you. Again, Pastor Keith, everybody.